previously on American Thought Leaders. The people you're dealing with in China are human traffickers. They're committing genocide against their own people. China is committing not one, but three genocides against the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong, and the Tibetan people, says Professor Robert Destro, the former Assistant Secretary of State for Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor, DRL. Now in part two of our interview with Professor Destro, a law professor at the Catholic University of America's Columbus School of Law, we take a look at the state of human rights in the United States and the rest of the Western world. If you allow people to say, oh, declaring an emergency means that rights don't apply, then there's going to be lots of emergencies. With the rise of big tech censorship and lockdowns of the unvaccinated, are the seeds of China's internet firewall and Orwellian social credit system now spreading to the West? As soon as you can use pejoratives for people, whether you call it anti-vaxxer or anti-science or racist or whatever you want to call it, that's the road to tyranny. And are there ever moral grounds for suspending human rights? You have to stand up against tyranny, otherwise it will eat you alive. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. So what are you seeing? What are you seeing here on the ground? What are you seeing in, you know, other liberal democracies around the world right now? Well, one of the things we're seeing is the weakness of institutions. We, we have to have strong institutions. And one of the genius, part of the genius of the framers of the Constitution was found in Federalist 51, where they said first we divided up all the power between federal and state and then we divided it among, among branches. And the whole idea was that you would, so you had places where you could go to complain. The idea was that the people who would protect you were the ones who were closest to you, starting with your family, and, and, and then moving upwards, right? And so we have a decentralized understanding of how you protect human rights. In any country where it's centralized, if those institutions fail, you're, fail, you're done. I mean, and so in, in Australia, we're still waiting to see. We know that they have built, you know, they've built internment camps in Australia for, you know, for people allegedly exposed to COVID. And you say, camps? You know, where are the Australian courts? You know, Australia's got a federal system like we do, so they've got states. That's happening in certain states, certain territories. You know, but you say, how does this happen? All of Germany is locked down. You know, all of Austria is locked down. And people there are saying, the Nazis are back. You know, because there's this whole idea of that individual liberty, individual dignity can be trampled for, for some generalized notion that there's an emergency going on. Well, so, but, so this is interesting. People will say, and they do say, and this is how this is all justified, it's an emergency. We have to suspend. Well, they don't say it this way, do they? No. We have to suspend human rights to, to deal with this emergency, right? Yeah, and you say, well, if, if you allow that, well, first of all, you have to say, who is we? Right? Who is the we who has the power to suspend human rights? 
the American understanding of human rights is that these are natural rights. So I don't have any more right to suspend your human rights as you have to suspend mine. You know, but if you allow people to say, oh, declaring an emergency means that rights don't apply, then there's going to be lots of emergencies because it's that will to power. It's the corruption of power. Hannah Arendt said the banality of evil. You know, that the, this is all, you, you turn it into a big bureaucracy and then they don't care who gets tied, you know, who gets ground up in the process. So let's talk about my home country of Canada, for example, okay? I have it on pretty good authority that the general way in which provincial leaders, for example, are making their decisions is based on polls, based on polling. Mm -hmm. And so the, as it looks like the, a significant majority of Canadians support all sorts of restrictions like this. It looks like they're making their decisions, you know, based on that information. Even, you know, there's people doing it that, you know, I know and I would have never expected would do such a thing in the interests of the, the public good, ostensibly, right? That's, that's what people believe. Yes, but that's the reason why you have bills of rights. That's the reason why you have the Canadian Charter of Freedoms. We live in a representative democracy, not in a pure democracy. Again, the Federalist Papers are instructive. Federalist 10 talks about the, the tyranny of faction. You know, when people get together and they say, well, it's in my interest to oppress somebody else, they're not going to say it that way. They're going to say, well, I need you to step aside, you know, because I'm afraid. You know, I mean, that's what the McCarthy era was all about. You know, people were afraid. You know, there was, that's what the, 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 the Nazis were able to present the medically unfit as a threat, as a drain on the system. They were able to present Jews as an existential threat to the purity of the German people. I mean, it's done all the time. And we all know that the, the, the media can be corrupted as well. You know, I mean, it, speaking specifically of Canada, because Canada spends a lot of money supporting media. And the, the danger, you know, that we recognize here in the United States, not enough, I don't think, is that when the government supplies the money, then, you know, it controls. And that's precisely why the Supreme Court, in the context of religion here in the United States, has said you're not allowed to prevent, you know, to give direct money to religion. They will somehow control, and, and that's what happens. He controls the gold, makes the rules. So I, I have to I have to ask you about this because this is you know this is people all sorts of people have been like kicked off of social media for example for making the suggestion that you know what cer certain authoritarian regimes for example the Nazis what they did is somehow similar to what's happening in places where these you know rights restrictions are happening. Well, as soon as you're not allowed to talk about something then that means there's something going on. Okay. I mean, I mean that the, the, the whole idea is that, that you know, why, there is a, a government-crafted narrative. You know, it's like that scene in Star Wars, you know, where Obi-Wan says, you've got the wrong droid, move along. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to be looking at this. I mean, Facebook has deplatformed people who were in support groups 
talking about the injuries they had from vaccines. So it's like saying, enough of this widowhood stuff. You know, you're making us uncomfortable. You know, when there's a political motive to it, it's the, the most basic cutting out. You know, you're, you're not allowed to participate in the community, what Oliver Wendell Holmes called the marketplace of ideas anymore. You know, and, and his idea that truth would out in the marketplace of idea is debatable. But the idea that, that people are not allowed to participate in it, I mean, that's what's going on in Germany right now. You know, in Lithuania, you're not allowed to go to a grocery store unless you have a vaccine. You know, using or ev some evidence. Some evidence yeah, yeah, of passport yeah. or whatever. Yeah, some, yeah. You know, and, and in Italy, same thing. They're locking down those green passports. Well, we know those they do that in China. You know, you t your passport turns red, you're not allowed to travel. You know, so this idea that the marketplace is different, is that there's somehow human rights isn't in the marketplace, it's the fact that we're market creatures. <laughs> we, we trade with one another in ideas as well as in goods. You know, so the idea is like who, who died and left them in charge? That's, you know, who died and left the premier of Alberta, for example. Part of his, jo his job description is not to follow the polls. It's to respect, to enforce and defend the Constitution and Charter of Canada. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, he, his, he can say, well, you know, polling tells me that this is, well, look, stand up. If, if that were the case, isn't that what Orville Faubus did in Little Rock? And isn't that what George Wallace did standing in the doorway? That he was, he was driven by the polls. Human rights always loses when it's driven by the polls. That's the, what we call the counter-majoritarian imperative. Fascinating. Well, so, no, and this is interesting because I've been learning um, the U.S. system has been kind of structured in such a way to prevent that from happening, right? Which is, which is different from other liberal democracies. That's why I say that when I would teach constitutional law, you know, you'd start your students with Federalist 10, which talks about the power, the nature of faction, and the dangers of faction. And a faction is simply a group of people who have you know, interests together that are adverse to somebody else's. You know, and then Federalist 51 is how do you set up a system so that basically you set these factions against each other so that not only will they control each other, they'll control themselves. And that's, it's written right in those documents. And the idea was that if we're gonna build a, a country out of disparate, disparate communities, then we have to figure out a way to control our own tendencies to prefer our own. It's, it's like, you know, the marbling in, in blue cheese is shot through the whole system. And as, as soon as you take any piece of it out, the whole thing comes down. It's being argued, you know, by a number of people I've spoken with that the coronavirus or CCP virus, as we call it at the Epoch Times, emergency, right, emergency, is kind of being used to take some of those blocks out of the system so as to cause that, in effect. People who want to control others will always find an excuse. 
You know, so I mean, I have no doubt that there are people who are doing things that way, who are doing it for an ulterior motive. But I also have no doubt that there are a lot of very people who think they're acting in good faith and they don't see the implications of what they do. And, and that's the origin of the notion, well, first they came for the, the handicapped and then they came for the Jews, you know, and then they came for the, you know, for the communists and, you know, and then all of a sudden there's nobody around and now they're coming for you. That's, that's what that's about. They all, it's always reasonable when it starts. Yeah, Niemeyer's, I keep thinking about Niemeyer's poem. I guess you never imagine that you're in the middle of such a situation, right? It's always somewhere else, it's always far away. There's always a good reason and we're, we're very good at rationalizing things to ourselves as human beings. It's never completely far away. I mean, this is, this is why, you know, come back to the United States, the, the idea of police brutality. I mean, my father was a policeman. And he always said that the reasons for police brutality were lack of training and lack of discipline. He says, you give a young person a gun and a badge, you know, they're going to abuse the authority they have unless they're tightly controlled. You know, well, once those controls come down, then don't be surprised at what happens. Hmm. And so what you've given bureaucracies in this pandemic, you've given them a taste of power that they never had before, you know, and they're abusing it. We all know that they're abusing it. You give Facebook executives authority to censor other people's speech on the grounds that it's disinformation. Well, how did you decide? Do you pay the, fa do you, do you pay the fact checkers? Because if you do, as some of the lawsuits against Facebook say, then maybe they're not independent. You know, so, so this question of holding people accountable. Here in the United States, we have the mechanisms to hold people accountable. That's why the, the threats against the independence of the judiciary are so serious, because that then becomes your bulwark. That's why the tendency to centralize, you know, in, in bringing all the social credit scoring, you know, into Washington. I mean, I can't think of a worse worst human rights violation. What is the case for it in the first place? Tell me that part for first. For, for the social, bringing the social credit scoring into you know, DC. It's, it's, once again, it's the tendency to decide who can participate in the marketplace and who can't. The current way of admitting people to the marketplace is by letting them spend their own money. You know, and making choices. You know, I can decide whether I want to go to Costco or I want to go to Neiman Marcus. That's the freedom of the individual to make choices. I can make choices among, um, you know, political parties. You know, I can make choices about what I want to listen to, what media I want to listen to, and what not. You know, as soon as you start to re restrict that market, then somebody else is in control. They're crafting a different society than the one we live in. The idea that Google or Facebook, you know, has, or Amazon, has a right to control what I say to you in my email account 
presupposes, first of all, that they're allowed to listen in on the conversation, which we may stupidly have agreed to. You know, but the fact is that's what they do. And the question is, can we hold them accountable or not? You know, because nobody died and left them, and nobody elected them to control the marketplace of ideas. And the only reason they can get away with it is because the government lets them get away with it. Well, okay, sort of, except that we, we, you know, millions of us made accounts and agreed to the terms of service, and so actually we did kind of. Well, yes and no. We understand that we are the product you know, and for Facebook tells you, look, you get to use our platform, we get to listen in on everything you do, and then we can decide to sell you stuff. We will sell advertising based on that. Mm. Well, that's the business model. But it doesn't say that you can manipulate. I didn't agree that we could be manipulated. I didn't agree that I could be censored. And I don't care what their terms of service say. You know, because they say, well, you know, we can police it for disinformation. Okay, tell me how you define disinformation. Because that takes us back to contract. Mm. Right? And if you're not telling me, if you're playing hide the ball in a contract, then maybe we don't have a contract. And maybe you have breached the contract, or maybe there was no contract in the first place. Because there was no, as we say in law, meeting of the minds. You know, I never agreed to, to be censored by anybody. And if you had said, oh, by the way, you know, I get to censor everything you say, and people would say, you know, well, I'll go someplace else. Mm, that's very interesting. This is a big debate, right? Huge, yeah. huge debate. There's a lot of people, you know, in our current situation here in the U.S., and frankly, you know, again, there's, there's very few examples where this isn't, these types of uh, COVID protocols, you mm -hmm. know, are not affecting people's lives dramatically. Right. Very few places. People are concerned that this is, uh, and I'm kind of reiterating the question I had, but in a slightly different way, that there's a sort of fundamental societal change that's, that's happening, right, as we speak, just simply by virtue of the fact of what people in societies have de facto agreed to. Right. Right. So. Well, that's, that's what the framers talked about, the first experiments with your liberties. You know, that, that Lincoln, in his address to the Lyceum in New York, said, We're, we can't be defeated from the outside, but we can from the inside. And so the insidious nature of bureaucracies, you know, not taking over, you know, and not turning to the legislature, you know, not respecting the courts, you know, I mean, the, the degree to which, you know, our own government, state, local, and federal, is just ignoring the distinction between legislating and, and executing is, it's like, look, Dr. Fauci was not elected to anything. He's a bureaucrat. He may be an expert, he's a smart guy, but nobody died and left him in charge of telling us what we have to do. Everything is a guideline. I mean, and when you look, and a guideline is not a law. 
you know, send it, if you want a mask mandate, send it up to the Hill. You know, show us the science. You know, that's the whole point of the legislative process is to slow things down. That's why we have a House, that's why we have a Senate, that's why we have the veto power, it's to slow it down. And this thing happens so fast, you know, and, and it's just like any other thing where people take things that don't belong to them, how do you get them back? We don't want to have to fight to get it back, but that's what all these lawsuits you know, springing up all over the country are all about. And so then there's this other question too. There's, there's been, I mean, I've, I was been fascinating to discover over the past few years that judges in particular states can actually issue um, judgments that affect the entire country, for example. Yes. You know, people have said this, is, this makes the, uh, the judges some of the most powerful people in the, in the country when they're faced with this sort of thing. It's interesting, and there seems to be a lot of that happening now in response to some of these, you know, kind of broad, uh, I guess, executive decisions. Yeah, the, the whole idea of a nationwide injunction is controversial because technically, certainly in the federal courts, you know, it's a controversy is between the two parties to the controversy. You know, and so it's only really supposed to affect them. But when you look at something like OSHA, you know, the what what judges don't want is for OSHA to say, well, all right, we're stuck in New Orleans, and we're stuck in you know, which is the Fifth Circuit, you know, and we're stuck in the Sixth Circuit, which is Cincinnati, you know, but. But we're, we don't acquiesce, so we're going to go ahead and enforce the mandate, even though a federal judge has told us it's likely unconstitutional. That's what the judges are trying to get at. You know, the question of whether they should is eventually going to have to be decided by the Supreme Court. So going back to this question of human rights, right? All of these mandates are some sort of restrictions on human rights, right? We're being told that the science necessitates this. Well, science is a process. Science is not, is not a source of immutable principle. I mean, the whole point of science is that you falsify it. I mean, so the, the idea that, that you come forward and say, well, the science says this, you know, if you're a real scientist, the first thing you're gonna say is, well, what about, I've got other evidence. And so the idea that you would shut down the conversation because there's a consensus among used to, I mean, that's what got Galileo in trouble. There was a consensus that it was geocentric, not heliocentric. You know, so the consensus is almost invariably wrong. You know, and so the whole point of having freedom of speech, freedom of speech includes science. You know, it includes religion. You know, I, I'm perfect, it's perfectly okay for me to question your beliefs. That's what we do as human beings. We question. I mean, anybody who's got a little kid, well, why is that? I mean, that's ingrained in us. And so as soon as you see somebody shutting it down, say, where's, where's the power, you know, where's the power, where's the money? So I, I probably spend too much time on Twitter myself. There's one tweet that came up to me as I was preparing for this interview, which really struck me. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of thought behind this. But he basically, uh, Zuby says, 
your human rights are not a reward for, quote, good behavior. Well said. Very well said. Well, and that, it's, just, it's just so interesting because somehow, is, it, is even the concept of human rights kind of being transformed for us and, you know, what's been happening over the last couple of years? Well, this is the, the idea. The idea is, is it a natural rights? Natural rights means human rights. It comes from your, na your nature. If you argue that your behavior takes away those basic rights, then it's not human rights anymore. It's a pure positivism. You know, the state is in control. Positive law determines everything, not your natural endowment. And so somebody then, if it's all positive law, that somebody then has to agree. Somebody's in charge of deciding whether you can speak or not. Otherwise, it comes from the muzzle of a gun. Right? And that's why this, you have such a huge debate over the Second Amendment. Because if only the state has guns, then what happens in New Zealand and Australia and other places, they would never try that here. Because there's too many people who take self-defense very seriously. And that's why there's a debate about the nature of the Second Amendment. Is it an individual right of self-defense? You know, or is it a collective, as what they call militia right? That's a big debate. You know, but the, uh, the, the underlying human rights debate is, do I have the right to speak? Because I am a human being and communication is part of my nature. Yes or no? If the answer is it depends, then the answer is no, period. It's either yes or no. Can't be anywhere in between is a no. Is there any situation in your mind that there are moral grounds for suspending human rights? Never. There are moral grounds for for prohibiting antisocial behavior, but there's never any moral. There's never moral or legal justification for denying the idea that you have human rights. Well, okay, so this is, I mean, but isn't this what, you know, proponents of the, of the, of lockdowns and all of these harsh policies will say, will say, if you're not following, you know, the rules, you are engaging in antisocial behavior. See, but that's not, see, once again, go back to the beginning of the pandemic, two weeks to flatten the curve, right? If they had said two years to flatten the curve, people would have said, no way. So, I mean, remember, our government is based on, quote, the consent of the governed. When were we ever given an opportunity to consent? To the specifics, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Not to the generalities, you know? And, and that's why we make rules by legislation in this country, you know, where they have to duke it out and where it's messy and it's, it's compromises are being made. You know, do you think for a minute, you know, that, the, that if you actually had to put much of this stuff to a vote, that we would be locked down like this? You see that discussion uh, mostly being made by states of emergency. You know, when, the, when you look at the case law, you'll see 
There was a fascinating case in Pittsburgh when they went after the governor. They actually tried the case. I mean, literally evidence and everything else. And the judge said, you made it up as you went along. It, it seemed logical at the time. I, you know, I understand that, but that's not legislation. There's no due process here. What due process means is following the rules. Right? And the rules are that if you're going to lock people down, there's a way to do it. And it's not by some bureaucrat, you know, or even the president. He, he, the president is the executive. Execute means execute existing law, not make it up. Very, very clear Supreme Court precedent on that. What's the path forward, do you feel, here in the U.S. at where we stand right now? We need to be talking about the human rights dimension. We're not really talking about the human rights dimension. I certainly don't hear it talked about in terms of human rights. I, no, you know, because yeah. you keep, you know, and, and that's why I said if you can control the conversation, then you control the narrative, you control the agenda. You know, but the idea of like where, you know, as much as I may respect Dr. Fauci's expertise, nobody elected him to make policy for the entire country. And what is it? Is it somehow inconsistent with my seriousness about COVID to raise the question who died and left you in charge? I mean, that's what democracy is about. I should be able to go and complain, you know, and, and nobody, not the government, not the private sector, you know, should be able to tell me I'm not allowed to call you up and complain. People don't want to be criticized. They don't want disinformation. Well, you know, beauty is in the, high, in the eye of the beholder, so is disinformation. You know, this, this question about who left you in charge. The people are in charge because we trust ordinary people to make important decisions. And the reason people do not participate, this is well documented, the reason people do not participate in the political process is because they don't think it makes any difference. But, you know, if anything, if we, you know, we've seen anything again over the past few years is sort of evidence to suggest that they might be right. But the worst thing you can do in a situation like that is stop doing it. You actually have to go move forward. And if you have, just have to move forward and keep complaining, you know, it's not an accident that people are being recalled on school boards or prosecutors. Are, I mean, you use the abilities that you use the authorities that you have. The ballot box is one of the most important ones we have. So is, so is money. You know, take your business someplace else. And, you know, to some extent you have to take it on faith that it'll work out, I guess, right? Because sometimes it doesn't look very promising. Well, you know, it never does. You know, but the one thing that Martin Luther King, among the many wonderful things he did, was he called on both African Americans and others to believe that God made us equal and that it was the content of our character not the color of our skin. That was a moral argument. And imagine, I mean, what you really have to think, imagine the, the odds 
he and Charles Houston and all those people. Rosa Parks just refused to sit in the back of the bus. She got into all kinds of trouble. That's how you challenge the system. No, there's, this is one of those things, no pain, no gain. And so you, know, you have to. You have to stand up against tyranny, otherwise it will eat you alive. So wait, so you're, what you're seeing here, you're saying that you're seeing a certain kind of tyranny. Yes, there's no question. It is a kind of tyranny. Tyranny doesn't need to be brutal. It can also be benign. You know, and, and the idea that you're not allowed to talk about subjects that other people find uncomfortable, that's tyranny. I mean, what else is it? Well, and it's also, you know, it could be benign in the immediate sense, but... Well, what I mean is benign in the sense of they're just using electronic means rather than, than you know, beating you up with truncheons. You know, but believe me, you know, at the beginning, you know, it's, it's always nice, nice. We're always doing it for, you know, to protect somebody else. You know, but if you don't go along, eventually you wind up in a camp. I think that what you're talking about to many of our viewers will perhaps seem obvious, but to others it might feel like too much to accept. Yes, I, I, I think that's always the case. Um, that's what the debate about racism is. You know, and without getting deeply into it, do people discriminate? Yes, they do. Do even people who are well-meaning discriminate? Yes, they do. That's why we provide for employment discrimination cases. I mean, I've litigated a bunch of those. You know, and, uh, and people always have a good reason for doing what they do. And they don't like it much when you point out, that's why we have rules that say, oh, by the way, if you retaliate, if you're the whistleblower and you retaliate against the whistleblower, that's a separate offense. We want to encourage people to come forward. Don't shoot the messenger. And that, you know, people think they're doing the right thing. They don't like to be questioned. That's human nature. And ultimately, when you say it this way, this is kind of a foundational question of our time, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, it's the human rights question. When I say to you, don't divorce human from human rights, it means don't ask me to stop being a human being is a condition for exercising whatever rights I have. I don't get my rights from you. I get my rights from God or from my human nature, depending on, you know, I, I, you know you're not in charge. You know, little kids understand you're not the boss of me, right? I mean, we know from watching a playgroup what humans are like. You know, why is that any different when we get bigger? Ostensibly, we, we've gained some wisdom along the well, way, right? you know, and some knowledge. And but self-deception is, is, you know, we all do it. So, you know, I'm thinking back to earlier, you know, in our, in our chat, we talked about how, you know, frankly, in the first stage of genocide is sort of, you know, excluding people 
from society. So, you know, Merriam-Webster, I don't know if you follow this, but Merriam-Webster changed the definition of anti-vaxxer, which is a very per pejorative term, obviously, mm -hmm. right? from someone opposed to vaccines to someone to opposed to vaccines and vaccine mandates. They really did this. I, I, I had to look. I, I thought, yeah, I thought yeah. it was like a Photoshop job, right? And right. I was like, no, no, that, they actually did that. So it's sort of, you know, it's, a, it's like, to me, it suggests this sort of, yeah, this increasing the group of others, like being, and now you're able to label them as anti-vaxxers, you know, all these people right. that are opposed to Right. You know, tyr tyranny actually in your in, yeah, in your no, in your terminology. No you know? question, but so. but behind all this mm -hmm. is the point I made earlier about holding perpetrators accountable. Is if I question a vaccine because I think it might do harm, that doesn't make me an anti-vaxer. But the way the law is set up is that I can't sue the vaccine companies. You know, and, and that was set up in the 1980s. And so behind all this discussion about vax, anti-vax, is a monopoly on, you know, the government is on both sides of that transaction. They're protecting the vaccine manufacturer, who basically are no different than any other man. A vaccine is a product. What, I'm not allowed to sue Keurig, if my, you know, if my coffee maker blows up, you know, well, if something does damage, why can't I sue? There has to be an independent forum, which does not exist today, where they can go and bring their case. You can limit the damages. There's all kinds of ways you can do that. But nobody would ever argue that the vaccine court that they have within HHS across the way here is independent not even close to being independent. You know, so the idea, one of the reasons why this is so out of control is that we don't use our normal due process ways of doing things. You know, I mean, a Russian judge told me when I went to Moscow for the first time, he says, yeah, we're independent. He says, but they control where if I want a new apartment. You know, so I mean, the, the, the due process, there's an old saying that in hell, law is king and due process is scrupulously observed. The process of law makes, it's the framework in which human rights exist. The, the equality means that I should be able to ask the same questions that you do without any consequences. And the fact that anybody would label us, that's the first step in getting rid of your human rights. The, the, the cultural step before that is that you're all a part of a collective and you're all, that's the whole communist idea. You know, that that, that was the whole German idea of the Volk. Mm -hmm. If you weren't a part of the Volk, then you didn't count. I mean, they could say, Mr. Yekelek, you're a Polak. Who cares what you say, right? I mean, I grew up right between an Irish and an Italian and a Polish parish. So I, I heard this all growing up, you know, when I was growing up. It's like as soon as you can use pejoratives for people, whether you call it anti-vaxxer or anti-science or racist or whatever you want to call it, that's the first step. You're, you know, behavior, calling out behavior, completely legit. It's the behavior. I mean, at the end, what we want to stop is antisocial behavior. 
And when asking questions becomes antisocial behavior, that's the road to tyranny. You know, we all know that calling out people because of their beliefs or their skin color is antisocial behavior because it's none of our business. It's not my business what you believe. It's not my business who you have relationships with. You know, what I want to know is, are you doing your job and are you treating everybody in the way you're supposed to? The same is true for bureaucrats. Show us your authorities. And I'm not antisocial when I question your authority, right? And it's true in federal courts. The person seeking to invoke the jurisdiction of the federal court always has the burden of proving that it has jurisdiction. And you can raise that until the very end of the case. You're in front of the Supreme Court and they can say, do we have jurisdiction here? And if they decide no, you're out. You know, so this question of whenever raising questions becomes antisocial, that's when you've got an authoritarian on your hands. Fascinating. Well, so, I mean, this, this has been an uh, illuminating, illuminating discussion. Um, where, where do you see things going here in America? Uh, I guess both in terms of, you know, the sort of the, the, the in, internal questions and, and you know, vis-a-vis -vis our relationships with some of these, you know. You know, it's, it's, it's almost too early to tell because we're in the middle of it. Is the process going to work? I hope it does. You know, when you look around the authoritarian nature of what we're seeing coming out of Washington and out of other places, uh, I mean, why does the IRS need to look at all $600 transactions? That's surveillance state. Why should the federal government be in charge of social credit scoring? You don't think political stuff isn't going to be involved? You know, and, and later, the system oftentimes will, will hold people accountable. Uh, you may remember a few years ago, there was a, uh, a star basketball player at the University of Connecticut mm. who was charged with rape. And the school railroaded him big time. And eventually he sued and, and he won. Yeah, but the whole Title IX controversy came out of guidelines that came out of the EEOC and the Department of Labor, Department of Education. These were guidelines. There, were no stat there was no statute. You remember Lo Lois Lerner, mm. who was using the IRS you know, they were, they were informally deciding who got tax exemption and who didn't. Nobody left, she was never held accountable. You know, the, the exam that I'm giving my students is about the Bill Cosby case. But the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania threw out his conviction because of the egregious violations of prosecutorial discretion. They said it basically it tainted the entire proceeding, you know, and, and you don't take an extraordinary step like that, you know, and, and this guy doesn't get it. I mean, he doesn't get the fact that he was called out, you know, by the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania 
you know, which has the authority to disbar him, and he just appealed to the Supreme Court, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he doesn't get the idea of due process. The spying on General Flynn, and the, the guy from the FBI who changed the email, and the judge says, oh, well, he's been punished enough. Excuse me, you know, if I did that, I'd be in jail. I mean, why is, the, the, A, it's perjury, you know, it's criminal contempt of court. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the craziness is that the, when we talk about the rule of law, we're talking about the process by which we protect each other. And that's all that is. That's what that framework is all about. So basically your solution, I mean, you're, I think you're suggesting this here, your vision for having better due process, I mean, this is kind of what it comes down to, is to have it decentralized. That is your, the direction you're advocating. That is well, and that's, that's what's built into our Constitution. The idea is that, that you know, and the basic principle of human rights uh, certainly is described in both European instruments and in, in the Catholic social teaching out of which it grew was what we call the principle of subsidiarity. You do things at the lowest level possible. And so you don't take away from a family that which it can do for itself. You don't take away from a local community that which it can do for itself. You want to empower individuals. That's the whole idea of empowering individuals. Well, the same thing is true as the organization, and, and, and you also then have to power them to protect each other. The devastating part about the CCP is that all power is centralized. There's no, where do you go to, where do you go to get your rights? Well, if the people who run the place don't think you have any and think that you are a repository for potentially saleable human organs, then, you know, let's not even bother to talk about human rights. Okay, so we have a clear kind of direction, I guess, you know, based on the U.S. Constitution that you're advocating here to help, you know, kind of better things here in America. What about the relationship with, with China and these authoritarian regimes? Well, I think we need to take people as we find them. I mean, that's the most fundamental kind of respect that you have for another human being, is you simply take them as you find them. I certainly found this to be the case in diplomacy. You know, the, the, the fewer assumptions I went in and saying, look, I want to have a relationship with you. Now, I understand I'm representing a government. I, I get all that. You know, but you have a family, you have needs, you have, you know, so, so the, the human dimension of this is, is important. And so when you are looking across the table at somebody who does not see the human dimension, then you have to adjust your expectations accordingly and your behavior because they're not going to change. You know, and the idea that you can change them is, is, is insane. The only people who can change China are the Chinese. And we have to trust them, you know, and ideally uh, work with them to, to open up the kinds of discussions. You know, I mean, there are a lot of really good human rights lawyers in China. At the end of the day, it's 
do we do we want to buy blood diamonds do we want to buy blood solar panels or don't we and if we don't then we have to start saying i'm sorry we'll shop someplace else until you get your act together well professor robert destro it's such a pleasure to have you on well thanks for having me